This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series going through the book of 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, man, probably in his late 30s. He's been sent by Paul to the city of Ephesus, where Paul is well known. Paul spent a couple of years plus there uh, in that city with that church, starting that church, and then training that church. He taught every day. He rented a school building of some kind and taught anybody that wanted to come and learn. And of course, I'm sure the elders of this church were involved as students uh, in that school, and they know very well what the Bible says. But Paul's having to write to Timothy to remind him, to remind them of what they've learned because they're straying away from it. Paul's writing from a Roman dungeon. He is in prison. It's not a nice place. It's a very rough place, cold place, damp place. He's in chains. And he knows, and we'll get to this when we get to chapter 4, he knows he's about to be executed. His life is about to come to an end. And so this is the last thing Paul wrote that we know of, at least the last letter he wrote to Timothy. And so some very important things are said here. We ended last Sunday with verse 15. Um, I want you to say it with me. Let's read it together up on the screen. Read it with me. Be diligent to present yourself, approve to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Now what happens, we're going to look this morning at, what happens to the church if the ones teaching the church don't do this, don't aren't diligent, as the King James Bible says, study, work hard? What if, what if the ones teaching don't do this? What happens if they don't seek God's approval before they seek man's? What if they study the Word of God and they say, but I can't teach that because there are people in my congregation that will get upset about it. They'll be offended by it. They'll think, he's just talking directly to me. Have you ever thought that? You get a, come to church and you leave and you say, gosh, man, he must have been following me around all week long. You ever thought that? Raise your hand. I have people come to me and say, how did you know? And I don't even know them. They're from Massachusetts. You know what I mean? What happens if the teachers don't work hard at preparation and study? What happens if they don't, as he told Timothy, if they don't, the, the Greek says, cut it straight talking about the Bible. What happens? And as Paul continues, he will tell us the answers to those questions. Verse 16, look, let's, let's give me, let me give you the point first. Recognize false teaching and stay clear of it. Recognize it and stay clear of it. Verse 16, look there with me. He says, but avoid irreverent, empty speech, for this will produce an even greater measure of godlessness. Avoid it. So what he's telling Timothy are two things here in this, in, this, uh, in this verse that I want you to get. He's telling him that correctly teaching the word of truth produces godliness. When it's taught correctly, correctly, when the teacher has cut it straight and the hearers listen and they heed and they do what the word says, it produces godliness in our lives. That's the purpose of the word of God. It's like, it's like soap that cleans us up. It's like a scalpel in a surgeon's hand that cuts through the deepest part of the tissue to get out the 
infection. It's like that. So when we hear it correctly taught, I believe, and I've, how many times have I said this over the years to you? Some of you are going to say, you're going to say it again. I repeat a lot of things. I'm at that age. But uh, how many times have I said this to you? Every time I hear the Word of God, every time I read the Word of God, every time I study the Word of God, every time I gather with my small group and get around the Word of God, every time I'm in contact with the Word of God, it ought to change something in my life. Because it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Correctly teaching the Word of God produces godliness. And then he says to them in this verse, irreverent speech produces godlessness, irreverent speech. And we'll talk about what that means. For the health of the church, it's necessary that the teachers, the pastors, the elders, as there were, as they were in, in the Ephesian church, as they are here in Nags Head Church, it is necessary for the health of the church that the teachers teach the word of truth. And that's what we do here. Um, if you're here for the first time, we're going to spend some time in the Bible because that's what we do. And uh, we want to find out what it says because it's life-changing. Our very words, teachers, pastors, our very words as we stand up and teach can make the difference. Listen, here's how, here's how important it is. Can make the difference between the ruin of those who hear or they're being built up in the faith. That's why James said, I think it's James chapter 3, where James says, listen, don't be really quick to be a teacher. Don't desire really, you know, I wish I could do that. Be careful, James says, because teachers will have a stricter judgment than anyone else, all right? Because we're handling the word of truth. You probably don't come here on Sundays, regardless of who is doing the teaching, whether it's me or Tom or one of the other pastors. You, you, I don't think, you're, you're, you're brighter than this, I don't think you come to church to see what, wonder what Rick's going to wear today. I hope I didn't disappoint you. I wonder what, wonder what Rick's going to wear today. You're not here to judge me if my hair isn't just so. You're here, I hope. I pray you're here to hear God's truth, which the preacher conveys through speech, through his words. Paul uses the word here, irreverent. It's a, it's a word that he's used before in writing to Timothy in his first letter to this young man, he said to him in chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Can, can I give you an example of a silly myth? And, and if, this, if you, this bothers you, then get over it. All right. But there was a big thing a few years back about something called, and I'm not going to ask you to you raise your hand and say, yeah, I bought that book. Something called The Bible Code. Anybody remember the Bible code? Oh, yeah. If you, this guy says, I figured it out. God didn't give us his word for it to be secretive. He wants us to know his word. He wants his word to enlighten us. So be careful about silly myths. What did he mean by irreverent? Well, irreverent comes from a word that means something that you would walk on. That's what the, the Greek meaning of the word is. That ground that you would walk on that you're, you're not afraid to trample on, if you will. That, you know, it, it's not anything special. I remember as a boy, a young boy, probably, I guess I was six years old, and we went to the hospital to see my baby brother, Scott. Dad took the kids, and we went to the hospital. 
I think Scott had some surgery when he was very, very young. And we went to see him, visit him. Hospital, Naval Hospital in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Military hospital. And uh, I'm six years old. I thought nothing of when we got out of the car and we walked out of the parking lot to the hospital. I didn't think anything about walking on the grass. You know? What's the big deal? My dad barked out some orders. The Sarge said, get off that grass. Get on the sidewalk, boy. <laughs> this grass, Dad. Um, but to the, to the Navy, to the Marines, it was more than just grass. It, it was not irreverent. It was reverent. That's what this word means. Irreverent means common. It means places where you would walk. Uh, other translations, maybe the one you have, here uses, instead of the word irreverent, uses the word profane. You know what profanity is, maybe. I don't think a lot of young people understand what profanity is because it comes out of their mouth just like any normal speech. But it's common speech. It's an inappropriate speech. It's not fitting speech. Just as Christians should not use profanity in our vocabularies, our teachers and pastors shouldn't teach as though what we are teaching is not holy. Because it is. So irreverent speech isn't, isn't holy speech. And that would mean if you, if you make it unholy by teaching false doctrine, by teaching silly myths, what you have done is you have taken God out of the equation because our God is a holy God and he commands us, you be holy, why? Because I'm holy. The reverent speech isn't something very special and God is special and God's word is special. It's something that has the power to transform lives. On the spine of my Bible, I took a picture of it so you could see it from the back row. On the spine of my Bible, it says two words, Holy Bible. You can take a look at your Bible and see if it doesn't say that. It probably does. Holy Bible. It's special. You don't trample on it. You don't walk on it. It's special. It's holy. It's separated from every other book in this world. It doesn't give us pop psychology. This book is not a self-help book. It isn't 12 steps. It is the very Word of God. There's nothing like it in all of the world's literature because its author is the Holy Spirit who inspired these men to write it down. Paul describes irreverent speech. What does he say about irreverent speech? He says it's empty speech. Unlike holy speech, that is correctly handling the Word, irreverent speech refers to teaching words. Empty means it produces nothing of value. Or discussing useless stories, you know. In, in the preacher world, we have we have terminologies that we use amongst preachers that maybe you've not ever heard, and that's okay. But I'll introduce you to one. We have what we call skyscraper sermons. You know what a skyscraper sermon is? Story after story after story after story, but never any meat from the Word of God. Telling lots of great entertaining stories, but never saying, "Here's what the Bible says." I've heard a few of those, not many in my life. Empty speech might make you feel better about yourself today. If I got up today and I had a sermon and the title of my sermon was, I'm okay and you're okay, 
Let me tell you why. And I never get into the scriptures, or maybe I take some scriptures and twist the meaning of them. And you leave today and say, man, I feel good. But if I got up and said, here's what the Bible says. All have sinned. We're not okay. And fall short of the glory of God. We're missing the mark. All of us are in the same boat. You might go, man, I came here to feel better about myself, and now I feel bad. But before you can really find out the goodness of God, you've got to understand the badness of man. That's not the end. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, Paul says, here's the good news. The gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is good news, but it starts out with such a wretch as I, you know. Only the Word of God can transform your mind and your eternity. Empty speech might make you feel better about yourself, but only the Word of God can make a difference. In His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you, you, you're familiar with that. We've spent a good, time, good bit of time with that in the last couple of years. Jesus made the same point that Paul does here. Listen to Jesus speak in Matthew 7, 15 and 17, 15 and 16, excuse me. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, meaning they look just like us, you know, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You ever watch the nature shows and you see a pack of wolves descend on that poor, helpless, whatever it is, buffalo calf out in the west and they're ravaging wolves, aren't they? They don't, they don't get around before they attack that animal and pray. Lord, help, help this poor little calf to die quickly. And we want to be as merciful as we can. They don't do that. They tear that thing up. All right? They have no mercy. They're ravaging wolves. And he, then Jesus says to them, and you'll recognize them by their fruit. I've heard a lot of people take this out of text and say, so we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. And so they start looking at everybody's life. And most of the time, the people that say God's called me to be a fruit inspector, they're very legalistic. I mean, they want to look at how you dress and how your hair is and this and that, things that frankly don't much matter to God. They're fruit. False prophets. A prophet was someone who spoke God's word, often given a revelation or oftentimes, you think about the last of the great Old Testament prophets, a fellow by the name of John the Baptist. Now, some of you are already saying, oh, he messed up already because John the Baptist is in the Gospels. But he was an Old Testament prophet, wasn't he? Because he, was, he prophesied before Jesus died on the cross. The New Testament is what? My blood, the shedding of my blood. So John, let's call John Old Testament. Anyway, John, was, uh, he was a rebuker. Remember when he appeared before Herod? And he said, here's the deal. King Herod, you're living with a woman who, not only is she not your wife, you're living with your brother's wife. That's despicable, Herod. So the Old Testament prophets, they were, I don't know that they're all such brave men, but they just were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And the Spirit spoke what God wanted them to say, but they, they would speak. The Old Testament law said if someone spoke a prophecy foretelling something that was to come, And it didn't come true that the, that was proof that that person was a false 
prophet and the penalty for false prophets for lying about what God said, because prophets would typically stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. However, that's said in Hebrew. Here's what God has said. And if they told a lie, it didn't come true. The penalty was for them to be executed. You take them out and stone them. Why? Because God, listen to me, church, God takes this book very seriously. As I say many times, God didn't write this down. God didn't speak just to hear himself talk. Right? There's purpose behind every word in the word of God. What is the fruit then of a prophet? You'll know them by their fruit. What's the fruit of a prophet, whether he's false or whether he's real? The fruit of a prophet is the words that he speaks. What does he say? So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to avoid irreverent, empty words. I don't want you to get suckered into arguing over them. Don't give those who teach them a floor to dance on. Don't give them an opportunity in the church there at Ephesus to get up and spout their mess. Stay away, he says, from those kind of teachers. Avoid them. Mature believers, by the way, those who have been walking with the Lord for a period of time, maybe years, I mean, truly walking with him and in his word and growing, mature believers are pretty quick to pick up false doctrine. Why? Because they've, they've studied and been taught and have learned what the truth is. They know the truth. But young, immature believers can easily be deceived. And so here in our church, one of our elders' responsibilities at Nag Said Church is guarding what is taught at in this church, and that includes in our small groups and our kids and youth ministries. In fact, immediately if you go and look at our church constitution, immediately following our doctrinal statement of faith, where we got, I don't know, eight or nine points, here's what we believe. It says this, this, this statement is there. The elders of this church are hereby charged with keeping the doctrinal purity of this body. And that comes from Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. When God's word is taught, Correctly, when it's cut straight, it will produce holy, godly living in the lives of those of us who hear it and accept it. Remember what James said, don't just hear the word, do the word. It will change our lives and produce godly, holy living. Just being here this morning, and I'm glad you're here, good crowd this morning in February. But just being here and listening It's a good thing, but our part is to be more than listeners. The psalmist in Psalm 119, what a great chapter that is. The longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. Psalm 119. I've heard people say it's exactly in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, asks this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man not stumble and fall into sin and and impure behavior? And all of you old men, older men, understand that question because we've all been young men at one time when we were told that's the time we need to sow our wild oats, you know. How can a young man keep his way pure? And he gives the answer by keeping your word, talking to God. By keeping your word. And he says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word, it's in my heart. For those of you who are attending Nagset Church and wondering, <clears throat> maybe you're wondering what this church believes, please know that the basis of everything we believe is a very, very high view of Scripture. 
we're, we're one of those churches that says, if God said it, we believe it. As we're searching for in our church, for our guests, you may not know this, our, our partners understand this, but as we're searching here at Nag State Church for a new co-pastor who eventually will come in and take my place, um, we're also searching for a student ministries pastor, and we're beginning to receive some resumes from folks. And if, if you ask our elders about Rick, when we see these resumes, the very first thing I do, one comes in my email, whether it comes from Andy or it comes from somebody that I've been recommended to, when, when I get these things in the mail, and what does Rick want, what do I go to? Very, the very first thing I go to as I look at their resumes, the first thing I want to know about them is, what does he believe? That's the first thing. Not how cute is he, you know, how cute is his wife, how cute are his kids, what kind of talents and abilities does he have. I don't even go and listen to him teach, watch a video or something. I don't, I don't, I'm going to look at all those things and where he went to school and, and what his past ministries have been. But the first thing I want to know is what does he believe? And if it's not there on his resume, I go to his church. And I look at their website to see what does this church believe? Why? Because everything in your life and my life is built upon what I believe, isn't it? It is. What does he believe? What do we believe? That's why we do such things. Before we spend any amount of time in interviews, we want to know if their beliefs line up with ours. Uh, we're not going to call somebody here. To, to be on, on, on our staff, whether it's a co-pastor, whether it's a student pastor, whether it's lead pastor, we're not going to call anybody here who, to teach you, to teach our young people whose doctrine disagrees with what we believe to be God's truth. Why is it so important then to guard the church against false teaching? Why, why are you so, as my old Kansas pastor, uh, when I was, well, not, he was from Kansas, I served a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma back in the late 70s. And our pastor, was a, he was a old, much older guy. I was 23, I think, when I went there. He was much older. He was like 56. And he had all kinds of Kansas farm boy sayings. You know how country boys, have, they say some things, you go, what? And he would say about something like what I just said about the Word of God and knowing what somebody believes, he would say this, and I'm stronger than horseradish on this. I got that. Why is it so important? Look at verses 17 and 18. These false teachers, these, these ones who are irreverent in their speech, he said, their word will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have deviated from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are overturning the faith of some. In your notes, false teaching destroys faith and hope. Here's what it does. It will either move the hearer's faith and hope into someone other than Christ as the cults do, such as Mormonism does, by creating a Christ who is different from what the Bible says, or by taking away hope, teaching that there is no heaven or no hell, as the Jehovah's Witnesses do, or by making God this genie in the sky whose purpose is to grant us our every wish and make us rich, which is what 
the prosperity preachers such as Joel Osteen do. And what happens is these teachers are twisting the Bible to make it sound like what is false is true. Heresy, false doctrine, always begins. Where does it come from? It always begins with a nugget of truth. Always. They'll come knocking on your door. And they'll say something to the effect of, do you know God has a kingdom and he wants you to be part of it? Well, you know, you've come to Nags Head Church and you've heard Rick talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And you say, yeah, I've heard some things about that. Well, we've got an inside scoop on it that you probably haven't heard. And we'd love to share that with you. Well, yeah, if there's more about what the Bible says about the kingdom, I sure want to know about it. They take a nugget of truth and twist it. That's how the cults entice people, especially those who know some truth, but are either non-believers or they're immature believers, and they hear a truth. Again, God's kingdom is coming. But the cults will misuse Scripture to support their errors, and they prey upon people who are, listen to me, they prey upon people who are looking in their lives for something more. Let me just say something just plain and simple to everybody here. You don't need anything more if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have all of God in you, with you, through you. He is all you need. Well, don't I need the Father? Don't I need the Holy Spirit? Yeah, they come with Jesus. It's a total package. You don't need any more, and some will say, well, there's more that you don't have, and so they lead them away from the truth and a relationship with the living God. Paul uses a very graphic illustration of the results of their teaching. He says it's like the spread of disease in the body. He calls it gangrene. I did just a little bit of, I'm a little bit familiar with gangrene. and I found out it's not necessarily green, but I did a little bit of a study on gangrene. What is gangrene? Gangrene is dead tissue, oftentimes in your extremities, oftentimes in your feet. You, we all know somebody who's had diabetes and has had to have toes cut off or feet maybe. Because diabetes, what it does is it cuts off the blood flow. And then the, the extremity, whatever it might be, begins to die. That's what, I'm not a doctor. I have stayed at a Holiday Inn. But I... I <laughs> Lord, help me here today. <laughs> he calls it gangrene. And at times, gangrene, especially in th those days, there really wasn't any way to treat it but to amputate. In improperly cleansed wounds can result in gangrene. Wounds on the battlefield, those kinds of things. So many soldiers, you know, I, I, I've read a lot of books about the Civil War, and, and oh my goodness what those men who were wounded had to go through. It was e much easier to amputate the arm than to try to save it, you know, or the leg. Gangrene, improperly cleansed wounds can result in gangrene, and if it isn't treated, what does it do? It spreads. It just keeps on growing. It starts in the feet. It progresses up the legs. It spreads, and, and it can spread to our internal organs. Well, you know, you can't amputate internal organs. If you cut out 
the kidneys, the internal organs, the vital organs, you take them out and you die. So he writes, their teaching will spread. It's an interesting word here that he uses for spread. It's a word that means pasture. Think of cows and horses out in the pasture, which is where livestock feed. But what he's saying is it's, it's, it's a pasture, but it's a poisonous pasture. It's not healthy pasture. Gangrene destroys as it spreads through the church. And so false teaching in the church, Paul says to Timothy, has got to be stopped before it spreads and destroys. He told the same thing to Titus in Titus chapter 1. You've got to silence those guys. How do you do that? Well, next point. Stopping heresy begins by identifying the source. Where is it coming from? In the Ephesian church where Paul has placed Timothy, there was a false doctrine being taught that was spreading in the church and was causing the faith of some of the church members to, like gangrene, to rot. And in typical Pauline style, I love Paul. I want to be like Paul. Paul wanted to be like Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. I want to be like Paul because what does Paul do here? He doesn't back down from naming names, does he? Right here in the letter, which is being read to the church probably by Timothy, Paul calls out two names, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Maybe they were there that day. And Paul says they're spreading gangrene through the church. Their word is killing you all. He said they, they deviate. They have deviated, verse 18, from the truth. They're deviates. Early in chapter 1, verse 15, I think in, 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 uh, in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15, he called out the names of two other men, Phagellus and Hermogenes. He did that in this, this one. I'm sorry. I think it's in chapter 1, verse 15. Yes. Phagellus and Hermogenes. Kind of reminds me of a gallon of milk, doesn't it, you? Hermogenes? <clears throat> And he said, they're causing division in the churches in Asia Minor. We know a little bit about Hymenaeus, who he identifies here in chapter 2 from Paul's first letter to Timothy. And Paul wrote that he had delivered. Here's, here's what Paul said about this guy, Hymenaeus. He said, I have delivered him and another man whose name was Alexander there in the church. He says, I have delivered them to Satan. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? I've turned them over to Satan because of their speaking against or twisting the things of God. Now, I don't know what happened to Alexander because he's not mentioned here in 2 Timothy, but Hymenaeus is still hanging around. Maybe Alexander repented when he got called out by Paul. Maybe he died. Maybe God took him out. Been delivered over to Satan. That's a scary thought, I think. We don't know, but perhaps Hymenaeus is along with this other man, Philetus, now causing believers in Ephesus to lose their faith and what they're teaching them is, hey, the resurrection is past. I mean, we're so glad you just trusted Jesus as your Savior, but you missed the boat. Their teaching was spreading through the church, and it was overturning the faith of some, verse 18. They have deviated from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are overturning the faith of some. What would you do, Christian, if your faith, your hope, if suddenly a very convincing teacher 
whether it's standing here or on the TV or you're listening to them from somewhere, you go somewhere, somebody invites you to their church to hear something, and you go and you hear a teacher who he was very convincing and he told you that you had missed the resurrection of the church, that this life in this world is as good as it's ever going to get. And that heaven is out of reach now. What would that do to your faith? Would you just give up? They were overturning the faith of some, Paul said. The return of Christ, the resurrection of the church, is called the blessed hope because it gives us just that. We talked some here in the past few weeks about Christ returning. That's our blessed hope. And it gives us hope, hope that better things are ahead. That This is not, let me quote, quote one of these guys, this is not your best life now. There's better to come, far better. What happened is that some in this church, because of the gangrenous teaching of these two men, had their faith overturned, where once they were believers looking forward to the resurrection, they had heard this from Paul as he taught to the Corinthians in chapter 15. They had heard this from Paul about the resurrection, the coming kingdom. And now there's either strong doubters in that or they're no longer believers at all. Raise the question, were Hymenaeus and Philetus, were they true Christians at one time? Paul said in verse 18, they had deviated from the truth, which means at one time they held the truth. And they had deviated from it. It's possible, I believe, for genuine Christians to fall away from truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul talks to the church in Thessalonica about He's talking there about the coming of Christ and the, and the things that are coming ahead and the Antichrist and every all those things in chapter 2, verse 3, we're told, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Don't be deceived. For in that day when Christ returns, in that day when the resurrection comes, when the last things begin to take place, in that day, that day will not come until the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness The Antichrist is revealed, the son of destruction. What does apostasy mean? Apostasy means a falling away and a rebellion. I can't fall away from something. I can't fall from this platform unless I've been on it. You get that? A falling away from the truth. And he says, don't be deceived. So we can be deceived by, Christians can be deceived by false teachers. So let me me wrap up this morning here with a few ways to prevent being deceived, all right? These are simple. You can remember these. These are practical. Number one, be in your own life, be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in you. You don't have to wait some time for him, for some kind of a second blessing. He comes the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He lives in you. And he's in us, Jesus said. One of the things he lives in us to do is to guide us into all truth. So be dependent on the Holy Spirit in your life as he illuminates God's word to trust in him. Be, secondly, be a student of the word of God. And I know Paul says this to Timothy in verse 15. Timothy, you be diligent to study. But I don't think it would be an error for me to say all of us need to be diligent to study. 
See, the reason that there was a Reformation back in the 1500s in Europe, 1600s, the reason that Reformation began, one of the reasons, was because the Catholic Church had told everybody who belonged to their church, you're not smart enough to understand the Bible. And most of the people probably at that time, many of them were illiterate and because they couldn't read it. You're not smart enough to grasp the, the scripture, so you have to depend upon the priests in the church to give you the word of God. That's a scary thought. I thank God for the Reformation. For those like Martin Luther, he said, he said this has got to stop. I thank God for people like William Tyndale, who looked out his window and saw a young man, a young boy plowing his field, and God spoke to him in his heart. The Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to translate the scripture so that that young plowboy can read it for himself. The reason you hold a Bible in your lap or on your phone or own a Bible, the reason you have one is because of men like those guys and many, many others said we need to be students of the Word of God. I hope you are. Study the Word. Then third, third one is be part of a sound church. That doesn't say church by the sound. Because we would qualify, wouldn't we? Well, that must be next head. <laughs> a sound, sound is a, is a word in, in, Paul uses it in, uh, in to Timothy, teach sound doctrine, means healthy. Be part of a doctrinally healthy church. A church with orthodox Beliefs. When I mean Orthodox, I don't mean a church over in Eastern Europe. I mean the beliefs that the church has had since Jesus. Be part of a church that teaches healthy doctrine. And many of you are. I, I hope and pray that this church will always be a doctrinally sound church. That's why you need to pray for our elders, because I could go back up to that statement from our bylaws that says our church charges our elders with the responsibility of keeping our doctrine healthy. So when we, we pray for our elders, when it comes time to, to bring in a new elder, as we do from time to time, I hope that you're, you're praying, not only praying for them, but you're saying, do they believe the word of God like we do? Somebody asked me that question Yesterday in our 101 class, we had 17 that took 101 yesterday. And I think a bunch of them are probably going to become part of us. But somebody came up afterwards and because of previous experiences in other churches, and she wanted to know, so if you bring in a new pastor in your church one day, is he going to believe the Bible like this church does? And I thought, I thought, I was surprised at that question. Can I say it that way? Because to me, that's just an assumption. Absolutely, they're going to believe what we believe. You see, when we, when we search for somebody, like a, searching for a student pastor, a co-pastor to come in, we, we don't go to the denomination and say, send us somebody. That's not how it works here. We go out and search. We have a resume for a young man. I don't know if he's going to come or not, but we have a resume for a young man as we're looking for a student pastor who lives in California. We're searching coast to coast. (laughs) 
And, and they, before we say, yeah, you can come here. Yes, we want you here. We want to know, what do you believe? Do they agree with this scripture? And the answer is they better or we don't want them. Amen? Be part of a sound church. Then the fourth thing, be a Berean. And some of you go, what is that? Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Write that verse down. I have that verse memorized. And the, and the location of, because I was member of, and I served on the staff. Remember when I was in high school and after college, served on the staff, staff of Berean Baptist Church. And they always had that little scripture underneath on their logo or whatever letterhead. And they searched, this is what Acts 17, 11 says, they searched the scriptures daily. Why? To see whether or not those things were so. What things? The things that they had heard from Paul. The believers there went back to the Bible, went to the Old Testament because that's all they had. And they, man, he's talking about Messiah and he's teaching us from the Old Testament about Messiah and he's saying it's this man, Jesus. Let's go back and look at the Old Testament scriptures. Has he twisted anything around? Be a Berean, search and dig. And I don't want to say don't trust what you're being taught. I want you to trust here, I, I, whether it's me or any of the others, I want you to trust what you're being taught because we, we take that so seriously. But search the scriptures how often? Daily. And then be discerning. Be discerning. Easiest way for me to, to describe what discernment means is it's the opposite of gullible. Right? Oh my, do we live in a gullible culture? Are we bombarded with conspiracy theories all the time? And somebody posts something on Facebook in a meme, and somebody says, Oh my goodness, they put it on Facebook. It must be true. I'm a French model. You know? Be discerning. Be gullible. Thank God. And, and let me talk to you guys for a second. You husbands. And I don't know why it is, but oftentimes God gives the gift, and discernment is a spiritual gift. Is that right, Tom? Yes. God gives oftentimes the gift of discernment to women, it seems to me, more often than to men. And I think one of the reasons for that is because of Eve. All right, you chew on that for a little bit. My wife has the gift of discernment. I cannot tell you how many times she's gotten me out of trouble. And she said, she said to me, don't trust him. Something not right about that guy. She sees it. You know, I'm kind of gullible. I'm like a Labrador golden, golden retriever, you know, puppy. <laughs> she's like a German shepherd. You know? Be careful. Those things. Get those things down. Remember those things. Jot them in your put them in your Bible somewhere. In the fly. It's okay to write in your Bible. There's false teaching all around us. And it doesn't necessarily come from the cults. Right? So be very, very discerning, church, about what you listen to, what you hear. Would you pray with me? Those, those people who 
half a millennium ago, many of them sacrificed their lives, gave up their lives, were burned at the stake, William Tyndale was, for producing a Bible in the English language that anybody could read. They killed him. The religious people did that because they did not want the Bible in the hands of the people. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for their sacrifice. I'm so glad for their stand for truth. I'm glad because I, I now have the freedom. You have the freedom to own the very word of God. I hope it doesn't gather dust in your life. I hope you use it, you read it, you study it. I hope you bring it to church and follow along because we're going to spend time every Sunday in this church in God's Word. I promise you that. From now till Jesus comes. Whenever that is. Beware, be discerning. Don't be deceived. Because what, what is at stake is your faith could be overturned. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, God, and I, and I hope, Lord, that the prayer of this church, of the, of the, of the folks in this church, our, our partners here, those who have said we believe in Jesus and we believe the word of God and, and they have united with this body of believers that their prayer, their often prayer, God, would be for those of us who are leaders here, our elders, to uphold the standards of Scripture, to say this is what matters most. If this is the foundation that we would, they would pray for us to get it right. So much is at stake. We thank you for the Bible. Thank you that, as the psalmist said, it can keep a young man from messing up. It's that powerful. It can transform lives. It can, as we've been singing about today and last Sunday, it brings freedom. Help us to be not only hearers, but doers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.